welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of W.M. Morrison Supermarkets PLC and various claimants. The citation for this case is 2020 UKSC 12. The appellant in this case is the Morrison's chain of supermarkets that I'm sure most people who live in the UK are familiar with. These proceedings begin with a man called Andrew Skelton who was employed by Morrison's at their head office in Bradford to work on internal audits. Not an especially interesting job, but Skelton was, to put it kindly, an interesting guy. After he was accused of dealing in legal highs and received a verbal warning at work, he held a grudge against his employer. Four months on, he still held on to his vendetta and saw his opportunity to strike. Just like he had the previous year, Skelton was asked to transmit Morrison's payroll data to external auditors, which he did do, but he also made a personal copy of that data that he kept for himself. Soon afterwards, he uploaded that personal data of Morrison's employees, including things like national insurance numbers and even bank details, to a file-sharing website. In order to publicise what he had done, Skelton then contacted various national newspapers pretending to be a concerned member of the public who had stumbled across the information while browsing the web. If you are at this point thinking this podcast episode sounds like the world's dumbest criminals, then you're not really that far off. Naturally, the newspapers did not publish the information and instead reported the stolen data to the police, who quickly cottoned on that Skelton was the quote-unquote mastermind behind all this. He would get eight years in prison for his trouble, but this present case is only indirectly about his criminal actions. After all, the employees were badly affected themselves, and so they decided to bring a claim against Morrison's for their vicarious liability in this matter. Whether you are or aren't familiar with employment law, it's always worth briefly explaining what vicarious liability is. On a very simple level, the idea here is that an employer can be held responsible for the wrongdoings of their employees, when that conduct occurs in the course of employment. Here, the 9,000 or so individuals argued that Morrison's was liable for the breach of statutory duty under the older Data Protection Act from 1998, the misuse of private information, and also breach of confidence. At first instance, it was decided that Morrison's was indeed vicariously liable for Skelton's actions. When their appeal to the Court of Appeal was unsuccessful, The case went to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick it up. It was Lord Reed who gave the sole judgment in this case, and because there have been quite a few vicarious liability judgments in recent years, he took the opportunity to go through them and consider their relevance to the present proceedings, as well as the wider jurisprudence. The most recent major case actually also involved Morrison's, and the full title is Muhammad and W.M. Morrison Supermarkets PLC from 2016. In that decision, the judgment from Lord Tolson attracted a degree of interest because it was held that when it comes to the actions of an employee, motive is irrelevant for the purposes of vicarious liability. To what extent this was true or represented new law was answered by Lord Reid, who stated that Mohammed did follow existing precedents in this area. For example, we can take a look at the 2003 case of Dubai Aluminium Company Limited and Salam, 
where Lord Nichols devised the close connection test. That test gets to the heart of whether the employee was acting in the course of employment, and states that where the wrongful conduct was so closely connected with acts the employee was authorised to do for the purposes of the relevant liability of the employer to third parties, those acts may be regarded as having been done by the employee in the course of employment. It was this principle that Tolson was building on in Muhammad, and he did so by posing a number of questions that would assist any court in a bid to discern if and how the test applies in any given context. The first question to ask was what were the sorts of activities that the employer had entrusted to that particular employee. The next step was to see if there was enough of a connection between the position of responsibility held by the employee and the wrongful conduct, such that it is fair to hold an employer responsible. Reading the decision like this, it becomes clear that Lord Tolson was not breaking new ground back in 2016, but simply trying to identify the relationship between the employment and the actions of the employee. Thus, when he spoke about a, quote, unbroken sequence of events, it was in reference to how the legitimate work of an employee can seamlessly shift into wrongful conduct that the employer remains responsible for under vicarious liability. Returning to the original point, and motive can indeed be an important and relevant factor, but it is something that is very dependent on the facts of each case. In Muhammad, it wasn't important at all, but in other cases it might prove to be highly important. If we apply this to the present case, then motive is important, as Skelton was acting out of a personal grievance he had, rather than on the business of his employer. Meanwhile, looking at some of those other tests, we can say that disclosing personal data online was clearly not part of the tasks associated with Skelton's employment, and a chain of causation by itself is not enough to satisfy Lord Nichols's close connection test. When all of this was added up, the Supreme Court decided that Morrison's was not vicariously liable for the illegal conduct of Skelton, and so they won the appeal. Before we do move on to our analysis of this case, there are a couple of other minor points that came out of this judgement that I think are worth giving a mention to. The first is that the lower courts did make some use of another important judgement in this area, the 2012 case of various claimants and Catholic Child Welfare Society. Lord Reed held that doing so was not appropriate in these circumstances, because the test of the relationship between the employer and the wrongdoer in that case applied where the wrongdoer was not actually an employee, and a court was trying to work out if the relationship was nevertheless close enough to being like an employer and employee for vicarious liability to apply. The other point that was made during the argument stage was that the Data Protection Act 1998 is not compatible with vicarious liability and so it is not possible to impose vicarious liability on an employer for breaches of that statute. Of course, by the time the judgment of the Supreme Court got to this point, Morrison's had already won, but Lord Reed felt it would be useful to address this point, even if it was just obiter. It was noted that there was nothing about the Data Protection Act to suggest that it was incompatible with vicarious liability, and no mention is made of the employer of a data controller in the legislation. The argument from the appellant centred around the imposition of liability under the Act, 
being based on a lack of reasonable care, whereas vicarious liability does not require the fault of the employer to be proved in any way. However, that doesn't really stand up to much scrutiny because the textbook example of vicarious liability is the negligence of an employee, which requires a breach of a duty of care on the part of the employee, but not necessarily on the part of the employer. Anyway, taking a look at this decision overall, it can be quite hard to come down strongly on one side or the other. If we take, for example, the dismissal by Lord Reed of the motive isn't important line from Lord Tolson's judgment in the Mohammed case, then it's hard to say that there is a strong and solid argument presented for why motive is important. The judgment here seems happy to take the line that either Lord Tolson was talking about that specific case, or even that the former Justice of the Supreme Court agreed that the question was context-dependent. But that simply isn't what was said at the time, and represents something of a cop-out in the present proceedings. On the other hand, a lot has been made of that one comment from Lord Tolson, and it probably has been blown out of proportion more than he might have expected at the time. It would certainly be interesting to hear what he made of the judgement in this case, and it might be that he is rather pleased that he has essentially been overruled. The truth is, I don't think motive is really that important when it comes to vicarious liability. After all, the definition of vicarious liability is an employee doing something wrong in the course of their employment. The reason why they did that thing doesn't enter into the equation. If a barista spills hot coffee down you, then it doesn't really matter whether that was because they didn't like the shirt you were wearing or they simply didn't sleep well the night before. It doesn't change the legal question for the purposes of vicarious liability. In broader terms, I think there are also a number of good and legitimate questions to be asked about the outcome in this case as a whole. The average person on the street would likely accept the reasoning of Lord Reed that the widespread disclosure of personal data is not within the field of actions for a person in Skelton's line of employment. Indeed, punishing the company for something that isn't their fault appears on the surface to be a little harsh in general. However, this ignores the importance of protecting victims in this type of situation. Skelton's actions caused approximately £2 million worth of damage, but clearly he was not going to be able to pay that amount of compensation to his victims. Vicarious liability recognises that consumers and a range of other individuals are putting their faith in corporate entities most of the time, and so when an employee comes up short while occupying that position, it makes practical sense for the company to take the fall. As we noted, the jurisprudence in this area has grown quite a bit in recent years, but one of the cases that I did not mention was the 2001 House of Lords decision in Lister and Hesley Hall. In that case, it was decided that sexual assault could be considered in the course of employment because of the relative closeness between the wrongdoing and the employment itself. It might have been slightly questionable as to whether that was really in the course of employment, but there is no doubt that the decision achieved the aim of offering the victim some semblance of justice. Of course, there is no parallel between sexual assault and a data breach, but is it not possible to say that there was also a relative closeness between Skelton's job as an internal auditor with responsibility for payroll data and his leaking of that selfsame data to a file-sharing website? I think the confusion ultimately comes down to the fact that the law is changing, 
but the language around vicarious liability is not changing to meet it. We talk about wrongful conduct being in the course of employment because we always have, but the definition is now so wide as to make that turn of phrase a misnomer for what we are actually describing. If we called a spade a spade and thought about vicarious liability as being misconduct that is relatively close to the field of activities that an employee is responsible for, then the Supreme Court would have a much tougher time selling us on the old wording that by this point is well past its sell-by date. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the UK Law Weekly Podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Remember, if you want to get in touch with me, then you can do so via the website at uklawweekly.com. There is a contact form on there, and that also links through to my email address, which is contact at uklawweekly.com. Happy to sort of answer any questions or um, take any feedback on the podcast that is always very much appreciated. However, if you do send me your coursework questions, then I'm not going to answer them because you have lecturers who are paid to answer those types of questions. So um, you don't need to do that. Anyway, I'll be back with another case next week. But for now, bye.